I'd like to invite you to be a part of our Bible study this morning. If you look inside your program, you'll find an outline of our study, and I really encourage you today to take that and follow along with us as we look into the Word of God. In 2007, the Pew Research Center gave a landscape study of the religious situation we face in America. And that uh, review they gave and the statistics that they had were kind of shocking with all the things they discovered. And now, seven years later, they have given us an updated report. And they are considered to be the most accurate of all studies and things that are published about the situation of religion in our country. They noted, for example, that the nuns, that is N-O-N-E-S, have just continued to grow. And now one in four adults in America considers themselves a nun with not any religious affiliation at all. They also noted that Christianity has dropped. And that is, it has depressed from uh, 80% seven years ago to 70% of those who are adults now in America who identify themselves as being Christians. They kind of developed a, a chart, and in the, on the far left were those who were the secularists, those who had no faith whatsoever, and that was about 10% of Americans. And then on the far right were those who were the strong, committed believers, and that was about 10%. And, and in the middle, there was kind of a squishy center of about 80%. Uh, those are ones who don't have any strong convictions. They may say they're a Christian, but there's not anything that really would identify them. When Lunell and I first got married, we lived in uh, Thermopolis, Wyoming. And the largest church in that town was called the Community Church. And for three years, they would have a Methodist preacher. And then for the next three years, they would have a Presbyterian preacher. And so the fellow who was the preacher there when we were there was kind of a character. And uh, one year on Easter Sunday, or just before Easter Sunday, he took out a full-page ad in the local newspaper. And it said, uh, Merry Christmas at the top. He said, I just want to be the first to wish you a Merry Christmas because I know many of those of you who come on Easter Sunday, I won't see you again until Christmas. Those would be kind of the squishy middle here of those who do not have any real strong convictions. Now, the thing that the Pew Research found was that those who are in the middle are moving to the left. And the general trend is that we are getting more and more secularists and far and far fewer those who are committed to Jesus Christ. Now, I want to talk to you especially this morning about the millennials. Now, America has divided itself up into generations. And those who were born from 1946 to 1964 are called the baby boomers. And so if you are born in that period, then that's what you would be called. Those who were born from 65 to 83 are called Generation X. And then those who were born from 1984 to 2004 are called the Millennials. And those are the young families who are in our midst. And those are the ones that we are particularly trying to reach. You see, the church has only two options. The church can become younger and larger, or older and smaller. 
And there are no other options. Those are the only ones we face. And so we are called upon to be people who are seeking to reach those who are the young families so that the church can survive and so that we can grow. It's been noted that uh, the millennials have now replaced Generation X as the largest workforce in our country. And it is the millennials that are driving up the number of those who call themselves nuns. In fact, 35% of millennials call themselves as nuns and say they have no religion at all. Now, the center of the controversy is the Bible. And that is, how are people to observe the Bible? 62% of those who are millennials say that they have never read the Bible. And as a result, they do not go to church and they call the church as judgmental and hypocritical and one that is insensitive to the needs of others. And so our question is, how can we help millennials, young families, accept and obey the Word of God, the Bible? Well, let me number two. Why is the emphasis on the Bible so important? I want you to realize that the very basis of our faith is built upon the Scriptures. Over in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12, Peter said, Now I know that you already know these things, but you need to be reminded of them. And then he said in verse 13, So I want to refresh your memory. And sometimes we need to have our memories refreshed about the importance of and what it means for us to have the Bible as our foundation. Did you ever watch the uh, television show Jeopardy? And I wondered, did you ever think, well, you know, I could do better than those contestants who are on there? Well, what if you got on Jeopardy and uh, your category was the Bible? Think you'd do pretty good? George Barna, who is the other great uh, religious uh, surveyor in our country, did a survey among people who called themselves Christians, and he found that 48% of them could not name the four Gospels. I wonder, could you? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He found that 52% could only name two or three of the 12 apostles. He found that 60% could not name five of the Ten Commandments. He then found a group of high school students who all claimed that they were born again, and he found that over 50% of them thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were a husband and wife found that 61% thought that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. And 71% thought that the expression, God helps those who help themselves, is a biblical quote. Now, his conclusion was, people revere the Bible and talk about it as being very important, but basically we are people who are biblically illiterate. And although we claim that we love the Bible... We're not studying and learning the Bible. Now, in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 23 through 25, James says that the Bible is like a mirror. And when you look into the mirror, you see the good and you see the bad. And you see exactly as we are. I like the story of the old hillbilly who had never seen a mirror. And some people camped near his home, and then they left, and he went to check out the campground to see if they'd left anything. And for the first time in his life, he found a mirror. 
And he took the mirror and he looked into it and he said, Wow, a picture of my old pappy. Well, he took the mirror home and he thought that he would, you know, keep that around, the picture of his old pappy, and he slid it under the bed and his wife found it. And when she pulled it out, she'd never seen a mirror before, and she looked at it and said, Huh, so that's the old hag he's been hanging out with. When you have the mirror, you see things as they are, and the Word of God is a mirror so that we can see us as we really are. Now, if we are going to be people who do what God wants us to do, we're going to have to help those who are the millennials to see what it is that God's Word is really like. And only the church has the capacity to help millennials to see what the Word of God really is like. There are four things I want to tell you that we're going to have to help the millennials see to understand about the Bible. Number one, we're going to have to help them see the wonder of the inspiration of the Bible. Martin Luther when he got his first copy of the Bible, he held it in his hands and he closed it and he held it to his heart and he said, you know, if I could but have a copy of this book, I would ask for no other earthly treasures. He realized what he had in the Bible. And you see, the Bible is unique. It was written over a period of 1,600 years. And it was authored by Oh, at least 40 different men. But they were not the author. The real author of the Bible was God. Because He is the one that inspired the men to write the Bible. The expression, the Lord said, or the Lord spoke, appears over 2,000 times in the Old Testament alone. Peter wrote and he said, Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And that's what inspiration is. It is when the Spirit of God moved men to write what God wanted them to know. When Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, he said to them this, I'm glad that you received my teaching, not as the words of men, but as they are indeed in the Word of God. When you and I hold the Bible, we hold the Word of God Almighty. We had a sweet lady who was a member here before she passed away named Patsy Duncan. And I went one day to visit Patsy in her home, and she said, Dick, there's something I've just got to show you. And I said, okay. And she went in, and she got a framed copy of a letter that she had received from the President of the United States. And it had the official seal of the White House and the letter of accommodation that it gave her. And then it was signed by the president himself. I wonder if you had a letter from the president, would you not be excited and would you not honor that? I want to tell you, when you and I have the Bible, we have a message that is from God. And as you hold the Bible in your hand, you hold the inspired Word of God. And one thing that we're going to have to help our millennial friends to understand is that the Bible is God's Word. The second thing we're going to have to help them understand, I think, is the wonder of the Bible's preservation. Over in the book of Psalm, chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, the Scriptures say, The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. 
Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, for Thou shalt preserve them for this generation forever. You know, before the invention of the printing press, the only way that people had a copy of the Word of God was it was handwritten and hand-copied and passed on from generation to generation. But in 1465, one of the things that changed the world took place. That is, a man by the name of Gutenberg had developed what we know of as the printing press. And did you realize that the very first book ever printed on the printing press was the Gutenberg Bible? He printed 200 copies of that book, and as a result, uh, it spread rapidly. 48 of the 200 copies still are in existence today. And if you owned one of those copies, you'd never have to work another day in your life because of how valuable that they are. The Bible is the best seller of all times. There are a hundred million copies of the Bible that are sold every year. Now, the Bible has survived all kinds of attacks. There have been people who have burned it, they have outlawed it, they have tried to pervert it, but it has survived because God has preserved this book so that men might be able to know Him and to know what God wants them to do. And if millennials are going to ever respect the Bible, they need to respect not only its inspiration, but also its preservation of how God has kept it for us. Number three, they're also going to have to learn, I think, about the wonder of the power that's found in the Word of God. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 11, Isaiah recorded the words of God. So my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and the purpose for which I have sent it out. There is power in the Word of God. There is power to save families and to prevent divorce. Dr. James Dobson said that the uh, average of divorces in our country is now one out of two. But he said if there is a family that goes to church and prays together and reads the Bible, that their chance of divorce are one in a thousand and sixty-five. And you see, when people are guided by the Bible, there is power to direct them in the way that God wants them to go. Did you know that as you have the Bible, it is something that can give hope even to somebody who is a criminal? You remember the words of the man that we call the thief on the cross? In the book of Luke, chapter 23, verse 43, And Jesus said to him, Today shall you be with me in paradise. And even one who was a criminal could have hope because of the words that come from God. Han, Kite, and I were visiting one day, and we uh, visited a man whom he had baptized sometime earlier. And as we visited the man, the man said, You know, Brother Kite, what I have a hard time doing is Believing that God could really forgive me of my sins. And you know what he did? He pointed into the place where a man could get some confidence and get some hope. And that is he pointed him to the Bible because there is power in the Bible to help us understand 
the greatness and the goodness of our God. Well, not only do we need that, but number four, we need them to understand the wonder of the promises of God. Over in the book of Hebrews chapter 7, 24 and 25, the Bible tells us about the great salvation that God has for us. And it says, because Jesus lives forever, He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, He is able to save completely those who come to Him. God, those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. Think about that. God has given us His Word and given us His Son, and He is one who completely saves, and He always lives to intercede for us. When Peter wrote 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, he says that we can be forgiven by the precious blood of Jesus. Oh, what a message to know that all of our sins can be washed away. One day, uh, Han and I had gone fishing, and we had caught a mess of fish, and we took them home, and we were filleting the fish so we could have a, a fish supper, and uh, I wasn't paying very close attention. And I looked down, and the tennis shoes I were wearing were just covered with blood from the fish. I looked around, and I thought, what in the world? These things are going to be ruined. I mean, they are full of blood. And then I'd heard those advertisements about OxyClean and how to clean anything. I thought, well, you know, I'm going to give it a try. And I put some of that OxyClean on those tennis shoes, and I mean, they just wiped out all of that blood. And my tennis shoes <laughs> looked like they had never had anything bad on them. And you know, that's what Peter says. Listen, it is by the blood of Christ that we have been cleansed. And whatever it is in our life that's bad, God has forgiven us of it. And the promise of God is that He will save us and forgive us of our sins. And then the great promise of God is that Jesus said, I'm going to come back. The book of John, chapter 14, verse 3, He said, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. Oh, what a promise! to know that we're going to be able to be with our Lord. When I was in college, uh, for two summers, I preached up in the uh, little town of Gillette, Wyoming. And uh, there was a little lady there that came to church, and uh, she couldn't see. She could hear okay, but she was pretty frail. And so they put a little bed up near the uh, front of the, the church, and she would be there every Sunday when I preached. Now, she had her eyes open, her eyes closed, but I never doubt that she was sleeping. Now, some of you I'm not so sure about, but of her, I know she was always listening. And we had a wonderful summer, and I got to know her and, and, and love her. And so I went back to school, and so the next summer, I headed back up to Gillette, Wyoming to preach again. And when I got up there, one of the persons that I was just anxious to see was Sister Vickers. She had always been such a loving and sweet, encouraging lady. And uh, her daughter said, you know, I said, I don't know how she's managed. But she is hanging on because she said she wanted to see you one more time before she goes. And so I got to visit with her. And in two days, she passed away. 
I know, she had just waited and hung on till I got there because she wanted to see me. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, I want you to be with me. And I want you to know that I want you to be with me forever. And that's why I'm going to come back, so I can take you, so you can be with me. You know, what a wonderful book is this Bible, and what great promises it has. And how we need to help those who are young families to know about the precious nature of the Word of God. You see, the Bible is not decoration for your coffee table. It's not a good luck charm that you carry in your purse. But it was meant to be read and to be believed and to be obeyed. And if the church is going to survive, then we have got to carry the Word to the millennials, to the young families, so that they too can develop faith and trust and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Father, we just pray for our country. And Lord, we are saddened by the direction that it's moving away from You. And that people are growing up, Father, with no faith and no hope because they don't know Jesus. Lord, I pray You will help us to be a, a congregation of people that can help reach out to young families so that they can come to know our precious Lord and honor and serve Him even as we do. Thank you, dear Father, for giving us the Bible, and thank you for what it means to our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song of invitation this morning. Maybe there's a way we could be of encouragement to you. Maybe you want to come and say, yes, I'd like to be a part of this church. And if that's your desire, we would just welcome you into our family. Maybe you'd like to come and confess your faith and be baptized into Christ. Or maybe there's some other way we could help you and be of service to you. I'll be at the front. Our elders will be at the back. And if we can serve you in any way, let me encourage you just to come right now. We stand and sing our song invitation together. This is my desire. To honor you, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. I worship you. All I have within me, I give you Oh, that I adore is in 